Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey y'all, it's Jessie. Hi, it's Helen here. And um, guess what? Uh, what? <laughs> Sorry, I haven't prepared well, myself. No, I mean, uh, right now Kamala is debating with ah, Mike right. Pence. Yes, yes. As we're recording. Yes. I think the, the whole world. Mm. Five minutes, yeah. Yeah. Couple of couple of people are tuning in. Just uh-huh. a few. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, crazy world, guys. I just hope that it's a bit more civilized debate compared to the candidates. No, but ugh, yeah. but <laughs> Americans don't like civilization. Civilized, they like Americans don't like civilized people. Americans like watching entertainment. Yeah, that's chaotic. what the state of politics yeah, yeah has become anyway. But it's always yeah. been crazy in the states. That's right. Yeah. I yeah, mean, if you look has. at the videos from the sixties, mm-hmm. you know, and seventies, Nixon, Kennedy, all kind of crazy. But they were, I'd say, more refined, a more refined type of craziness. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's become anyway, how's... regressive. <laughs> <laughs> it's just different. How How was your week, Helen? Um, my week's been fine. I'm still surviving school holidays. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, um, I've just been running around with the kids, and yesterday we went on to two bush walks. Um, mm, nice. Whereabouts? One is just near our place. So the one that I've never been is only like twenty minutes from our place. I never really know that we have a bush walk near our place oh, that nice. I can. Go up the mountain and just look down onto the whole area, across yeah. the water as well. So, which was really nice. And the other one just by the beach. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I had like suffered a two-day heat stroke um, earlier this week because um, I went with a couple of friends to this waterhole down south past Campbelltown. Mm-hmm. It's called Jinga Pools or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was lovely. It was really lovely. And then the, the follow- and then the next day I went because it was Billy's birthday. We went out to Cottage Point. Have you yep. been there? I think yep. it's where you live. No, it's on the other side. It's the oh. rich people's side. I think oh. it's on the <laughs> approach ball through what, like past and Ives. Isn't it like near? It's the northern beaches, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to Palm Beach one day, and then the next day we went to Cottage Point Inn or something. It was yeah, it was. Oh my god, we had the like the loveliest lunch. Mm-hmm. It was literally yeah, like heard. my my favorite day ever. I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> the food was just oh man. I'm gonna stop right there because I will start sounding really white if I start talking about <laughs> how good the food was. Ugh. Anyway, um, so last night I was reading a collection of essays that Billy had gifted me a few months ago. Um, mm-hmm. It's an essay called, it's a book called, um, oh, I have it in front of me. I better read it. It's called Nothing If Not Critical. It's a collection of essays by Robert Hughes. Mm-hmm. And so it's an, it's like, it kind of collects all his essays about art. Uh, he used to write for the Times magazine. Uh, Robert Hughes was Australian, I believe. Anyway, um, I counted. There were seventy-eight men on the on his list. List of yeah, and then guess how many women? Um, five. Ah, oh, close enough. There are four women artists okay. he reviewed. Uh huh. 
discrepancy there, crazy. Yeah. And then this morning for Women's Agenda, I covered a story about um, the Nobel Prize for chemistry, which was yeah. just announced yesterday. To a woman. Yeah, two women. So these women were the sixth and seventh women to ever win the prize in the, you know, in the history of the Nobel Chemistry Prize. Do you want to take a stab at how many men have won? Well, considering how many years there has been for the Nobel Prize, I would say over hundreds, wasn't it? Yeah, so 179 men have been awarded the Compared Chemistry Prize. seven. Seven women, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, a lot to think about there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just throwing these figures out. I I don't want listeners to I want listeners to think about what that means on their own terms. Yeah. I'm just throwing out the figures. Um yeah, so Helen, what have you been thinking about before I launch into my con- cultural consumption with uh, you? Yeah. Um so this week, um I watched an online interview of Sayaka Ruta, the um Japanese author, female author that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. We read yep. who uh, wrote? What does she write again? Convenience uh, store women. Yeah, and Earthling. Yep. Yeah. Um. So she was invited to Chowton Literature Festival. I believe it's a, like a British um, writing festival to mm-hmm. talk about her work. Um. I quite like the way that she was t- talking about. Uh, the process of her writing experience. Uh, she said that she started writing when she was very young, like uh, when she was in seven or eight, and she started mm-hmm. writing. Um, she used the word girly. I mean, the whole interview was in conducted in half Japanese and half uh, English, where the mm-hmm. interviewer was like the English person, mm-hmm. and she, they had a interpreter in between then. And mm. she mentioned how her writing style was very girly and very based on fantasy style when she was younger. Yeah. And as she grew older, she's uh, becoming more observant about uh, Japanese society and she mm. wants to write something different. And also writing not only her experience and also reflecting on her friend's experience of um, how much it is expected for people to simply breed and work their life to death mm. so it's very interesting if anyone's uh, if anyone's in- interested i really recommend um read earthling um jesse you've got the book it's quite I similar do. yeah it's behind me right now yeah on it's, fantastic. Yeah, okay. it's fantastic yeah it's fantastic um i was very um tempted to read it the other night when mm-hmm. I had a free night, um, mm-hmm. which is so rare for me these days. But um, because uh, Dean, uh, who is a one of my favorite booksellers from Better at the Dead in Newtown, mm-hmm. which is my local bookstore, he uh, reviewed Earthlings and he just was, he only had amazing things to say about it. <laughs> so when I read his review, I was like, shit, I better get onto it. And yeah. also, Helen, you told me that it was great as well. Yeah, it's great. It just really make you think. It's really not the mainstream type of the stories that you think. Um, it's kind of surreal as well, I feel. You yeah. know when you mentioned the author and how she said that a lot of people just kind of go through life, you know, mm-hmm. with these conventional aspirations of like making ba- like we're talking about women here, you know, getting yes. married, making babies. Mm-hmm. I feel like the recently I've been thinking that some people don't have – choice in that yeah I mean obviously we all know that like a lot of like I used to kind of I used to 
sort of look down on women who, I mean, this is obviously controversial for me to say right here on this podcast, but I used to think that women who had babies and got married were really dull and boring and didn't aspire to anything larger than life. Um, but I guess like, I don't want to be a, I don't want to have such a narrow perspective on, I feel like that is not only very deeply judgmental, but also, um, is a reflection of myself and how little I understand about different people and their different circumstances, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like a lot of people only have certain choices in which to find fulfillment, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm very privileged in that I get to find other means of fulfillment. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so... um yeah, that's just my like general thoughts about that. It's always shifting, but yeah, it is difficult because I don't know. Women tend to there's some degree of education that we've reached um, in our life that somehow kind of make women being picky to each other. Does that make sense? You know, mm. as in yeah, um, it seems like um, the conflicts between women to me. It is very damaging, but somehow mm. that it is also hard for us to stop that kind of cycle. Like what I mean is that you, we, we tend to see a lot of generational debates between women. Like even even though we're yeah. doing it now, you know, you have the debates between first wave feminists and the 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 um, feminists that comes behind it, and there's also the generational debates between. Um, mothers and daughters and also even mm. grandmothers you know just a, a lot of ideas mm. that is changing but um but that mm. is what a movement should yeah, do right? right it should continuously yeah. change i listened to a podcast the other day about a woman i think it was on the london reveal books podcast where a woman was talking about how she doesn't like the term first second third fourth wave of feminism okay. like she wanted to get rid of that sort of way of thinking mm -hmm. um outside of the term waves mm -hmm. because you know it's ever evolving right. like mm -hmm. uh, you know what happened to the women between these set dates that we have you know put put upon individuals in yeah. hindsight you know like it, there seems there feels to me like uh she said it seems to be uh, more expansive if we get rid of those mm -hmm. terms of waves and just think of you know, this continual movement. Right. Maybe it was Vivian Gornick who said this, actually. I don't remember. Anyway, mm. um, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about what we consumed in culture this week. Fantastic. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. So um, this week, uh, one of my best friends, Billy, he um, has this great show called The Pilot Club, which he does with his friend Drew, and they are going to talk about um, Emily in Paris, which is um, a show on Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, basically, uh, The Pilot Club, which Billy and Drew do, they um, they go through, I don't know if I've told you this, Helen, but they go through um, pilots of uh, all the different new shows, mm -hmm. um, and they also look at the back um, previous series, TV series, and they critique it. 
Um, and Emily in Paris is a new one from Netflix starring Lily Collins. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like it's the it's the same guys who did um, Younger. Did you ever watch Younger? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. It's so good. Anyway, um, uh, and so anyway, uh, this one is about a young sort of social media savvy girl from America. It's called like a PR agency uh-huh. who um, who is – promote who is given a job in France so she moves to Paris Mm -hmm. and sort of she is the arbiter of what constitutes like American culture she's like bringing American culture into this sort of ad agency in Paris um I only watch it because a Lily Collins is so beautiful I could just watch her forever she's so pretty and b um the fashion like she dresses so well in every single like mm. different scenes, she's in a different costume. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, a different outfit, and it's just so quirky. And I don't actually think it's nowhere near as good as Younger because um, Younger kind of explored like one, the characters are more charismatic. Two, um, the um, the question in which um, Younger was exploring was so much more interesting than Emily in Paris. Mm-hmm. Like this new show kind of um, looks at a question that I think is just not interesting anymore, which is who is better, who's more superior, the French or the Americans? Like that's not an interesting question to explore. But in saying all that, um, like I said, Lily Collins, fucking eye candy, and also she gets to hook up with a lot of hot French men (laughs) who, like, I I just have to say, French men are usually, like the French men I've dated in the past have not been as attractive as the ones that she encounters in the show. But anyway... It's totally just an eye candy. The whole show is like eating mud cake. Uh, That's what I constitute I it as. I yeah. See. So it's more. It, so, it was like because I, I I kind of watched the trailer and I know that it's uh, not exactly my scene. Is it like, um, Devil Wears Prada? The oh, it's kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. Although Lily Collins is just really annoying. She's not like Anne Hathaway. Um, yeah, it's it's just if you're into fashion, watch this uh-huh. show. I mean, I'm not into fashion, but I like looking at fashion and uh-huh. like pretending that I give a shit about it. Pretending, I, I just wish I, I just wish I had the money. <laughs> but I think old. even if I did have money, yeah, even if I did have money, I would not spend it on lo- looking no, good. You like I would not spend yeah, it on fashion. I'm just so, I'm so not of that type. <laughs> I, I really sometimes like seriously, Dope. I was looking at Lily Collins. <laughs> in this show and I was like Jesus Christ like it's so different when she's like in a sweatshirt compared to when she's really doled up yeah. and I was like I can look good if I doll up like I honestly know yeah, that course. I can look good Everyone if I doll can. up but I can't be fucked yeah. like and I feel I feel bad that I can't be fucked <laughs> because I feel like if I did doll up I would literally be using my resources because like I know that I'm still kind of considered kind of young Mm -hmm. and so like if I wanted to attract people I would put more effort into looking good but it's just I'm so lazy yeah same I'm so lazy and also the type of people that you'll be attracting to will be the very similar ones that will be just focused on the visual values wouldn't it I guess I guess is that the type of people that you will want to attract of course not of you course go. not. Yeah, it's just it seems to be such a Sydney thing, uh-huh. you know. To yeah, it's metropolitan. Like, instance, yeah. yeah, like um, Kyle and Billy and I went to um, Bert's last week. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know Burt's? It's like this fancy place in Palm Beach. I believe okay. it's Palm Beach or somewhere near there. Anyway, we went in. I like we were all dressed up kind of casually, but um, the people around us, like it was like we were in the Hamptons. <laughs> um, the people around us were all one. They were all white, yep. although there were a couple of Asians because Asians are the most like con- adjacent to whiteness. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of white people. Uh, sorry, a couple of Asian people. Um, and But everyone was so doled up. It was just absolutely ludicrous. And then we started um, kind of critiquing them as in like what made them look so good. And then um, Kyle and I were saying that um, women, Sydney women, have this really particular look about them, like um, Sydney women who are of that particular high-end mm-hmm. alpha woman mm-hmm. type. It's a and, and it's a look that I've been noticing suddenly because like um, in the last couple of weeks I started KX um, Pilates, which is like this kind of reformer pilates that's quite intense and alpha women go to it just like bar Mm -hmm. um anyway i've noticed that um alpha women in sydney have like a very particular look and that is blonde they're all blonde they all have like short hair up to their shoulders it's very neatly straight cut like a bob hairstyle yeah it's like a bob yep um and they're all really really skinny and their hair is just so like kind of it's almost like they get a daily blow dried or something but it's just like chic (laughs) and they all look like they work for ad agencies and like i seriously have been noticing noticing that look everywhere wow yeah like have you noticed this look well i haven't been into sydney city for a very very long time since the COVID hit so but i can understand the type of people that you speak of because you know when i was living back in sydney that's pretty much the type of people you see walking through modern place when you mm. you know, they're yeah. just the financial districts. So they have a certain yeah. type, body shape, um, outfit, yeah. and even down to accessories as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's, it's, it's a look that really signals and conveys a message. Mm-hmm. And that is, don't fuck with me and take me seriously. Yeah. You know, like women with long hair, I think are not taken as seriously as women with short oh, hair. Oh, really? Like if you have short hair as a woman, mm. you're saying to the world, don't fuck with me. Mm. I think so. Well, like, you know, I mean, obviously it's not completely universal. Like, Jacinda Ardern has long hair. But I just think, in off the top of my head, all the politicians in that I can think of, like Julia Bishop and um, Julia Gillard and... Angela Merkel and Hillary Clinton and so on and so forth. Um, who is that IMF woman, Christine Lagarde? Mm-hmm. They all have short hair. Like, as a woman, you need to... And if you want to penetrate positions of power in the patriarchal world, you need. I think you need to formulate your physical appearance in a very particular way. And I think that's what I was referring to yeah. before. Like, I want to be taken seriously... But also, I don't want to have short hair. Like, I love, I like my long yeah, hair. that's absolutely And I fine. like looking like a slob <laughs> most days. <laughs> I do, literally. Like, I'm in my pyjamas all day. I think it might be like a physical trait of masculinity that people will lean, you know, lean towards and somehow that they have a connection to power. That mm, I think that's exactly. what I, yeah. Well, Helen, you have short yeah, hair. Yeah, I have short Why hair, do you but have short I don't. Hair? You've always uh, had short hair, and well, why is I've that? I've had short hair since I become a mother, but I, it's just down to a choice of convenience. I just can't be fucking bothered to wash, dry, and mm. you know, style. <laughs> yeah, 
We should just do a whole pod on hair. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> we, we will. We'll what be, about, we'll yeah. yeah. What about you? What do you want to talk about um, this week? This week, um, I watched two films separately with two, uh, my two ch- children, <laughs> human children. So the first time I watched it with my older child is Coming to America. And the second one oh, is... Best film ever. And Lona Holmes. Um, so Coming to America is a film that my son wanted to watch like since like last year because his uncle, yeah, our right. brother, has mentioned it to him and like br- raved, so many yeah, times. raved about it so long. Yeah, the royal penis is clean or something. <laughs> yeah. That's the best line ever. Yeah, so since then that... Um, Luke wanted to watch it, but we didn't. Did he like it? Oh, uh, he. I think he joined enjoyed it, but he, I think the hype. Probably he had too much expectations, and it <laughs> didn't hit that notes for him. Mm. But mm. he found the enjoy. He he had the enjoyment of watching it, and I always thought that. Um, I don't really remember watching another film or of. Oh. I'm I'm sure there are a lot, but I don't remember watching a film. After coming to America, like this is during our 90s when we were growing up, another yeah. blockbuster film that was fully African-American. Black cast. Yes, fully black yeah. cast. Yeah, good point. Yeah, apart from like Black Panther, but we, even with Black Panther, there was, there were, you know, white people and I think there were Koreans as well because they had a scene in Korea. So coming to America is probably... The only film that I can remember that I've watched that is fully black cast, wasn't it? I don't know. Oh, well, yeah. now that you say that, perhaps, yeah. Um, I mean, we, but also you and I, we were not exposed to a lot of black That's cinema. True. Yeah, I'm sure there are heaps, mm-hmm. but it's just like coming to America is just this cult. Yeah, massive. It was cult. It has a cult figure status. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's totally deserved because it's so fucking awesome. Like his father is um, Mufasa, yes, right? Mufasa and Darth Vader. <laughs> Wait, he's Darth yes, Vader? Yeah. Um, oh, cool. I didn't know Darth Vader was name? black. James Earl <laughs> Jones, yeah. Oh my god. You know that scene when at the end, the marriage scene? I mean, not the marriage scene. Yeah, is it the marriage scene? Where they have like the, all the crazy like dances and the woman, mm-hmm. the bride to be, comes and does this epic dance. Yeah. So erotic. Yeah. I just, I was always, I remember as a like eight year old girl just being turned on by that. Because <laughs> everyone is like half naked. Yeah. All the women are half naked. All the all of them are beautiful. I felt Lisa, like Eddie Murphy's um, love interest, was so dull and boring. God. <laughs> I was so disappointed that he lo- loved her because she's so, such a goody two shoe. Like, mm. good women are fucking boring. And she was just so good. She's like, you know, when he meets her, she's like making a speech about raising money for McDonald's or something, right? Uh, Remember for that scene? Like a council charity, yeah, council kids yeah. program or something like that. Oh, yeah. But whereas her sister Patrice was a bit different. Oh, Patrice, yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah, and his best friend was also very funny. Yeah, but I guess because the film was uh, made during the late 80s, early 90s, that's probably the mm. big breakthrough for a lot of people that yeah. to watch it. Yeah. Another film that we watched uh, this week was Enola Holmes. Um, what is that? Enola Holmes. Uh, it was on Netflix. So okay. it's a story based on Sherlock Holmes' sister, 
I'm not quite sure oh, if that was the. Oh my god, the, I saw the, the trailer. Yeah, I just kind of like cringed fiction. when I saw it. Yeah. Anyway, so it's um, a bit of the feminist type of film, but mm. I um, I don't know how to explain it. But I think it was really interesting the fact that um, at the uh, initially that I thought that it's a very child friendly film, but it ended up mm-hmm. quite violent. Because we watched it with our seven-year-old, and Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that I didn't think that it was will be quite violent, Mm -hmm. and essentially it was uh, set on during the period of time that um, in forties, I think, or maybe Mm -hmm. earlier. No, 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 it wasn't the forties. Sorry, I have to double check. Eighteen hundreds. Yeah, eighteen hundreds. Yeah, they felt like they were dressed up, like that. So it was about feminist movement and this girl in Lona Holmes that she had um, skills of being a detective, um, going through the cases mm. and finding herself as well. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like totally down your daughter's alleyway. Your daughter is such yeah. a feminist. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, she loved it. I just like cringed at the trailer because it looks so basic. It's like it looks this, like this basic white woman, a young pretty girl tell like to kind of being all witty in front of mm-hmm. like two charming outrageously good-looking men i kind of just rolled my eyes and thought oh my god no not another white feminist kind of stuff i think it is it just very felt very white, white feminist. feminism yeah because i have to i, I want to emphasize that uh a bit besides another homes i watched uh wretched i've started watching it oh yeah and yeah. i found Sarah Paulson. yeah i found the uh the, there's a common point between these two work yeah. is that they have people of color in their work but they just don't have any lines like they are there on yeah, screen for totally. five seconds yeah. and it feels really really tokenistic because yeah yeah <laughs> there wasn't anything for them to say and they just yeah. have their face appeared and yeah even with Enola Holmes there was there were um Chinese characters yeah, like dynamite because there was a suffragette movement. They want to blow up. I don't know Parliament or where something. Where was where was it set? In London. This in is London. The British, yeah. Are there Asian people in London at that time? Oh, yeah, I was just kidding. Probably, of course there are. There probably I'm just, were. I'm just yeah. kidding. Of course they were. Yeah, yeah. And there was um, a scene. Like, there was a scene. Sorry, yeah, there was a scene where Enola was forced to go to boarding school, and you yeah. see the boarding school. It seems like it's so purposely they put people of color into yeah. that yeah. scene where there you have um asian girls doing proper stuff because they were taught yeah. to be like ladylike and yeah she's the only one who's trying to go against all the flaws and yeah it was yeah. just so funny i think yeah yeah i mean you and i we've talked about this in the mm, podcast where we yeah. critiqued um work it remember that netflix right. dance yeah. movie and you know i've told you this billy and i have had long conversations about how like, for instance, in the latest rendition of um, Charles Dickens, what is that? You know, the Charles, oh, David Copperfield, mm-hmm. where they, yeah. there are a lot of Indian casts. Yeah, yeah but they all, he all was saying side, how, side characters. Well, like the main guy, Dev Patel, was Indian, but um, he, Billy said something great. He said, like, it's almost even more egregiously racist that these white people, and they're always white people who make these, you know, films yeah. and series um they put in people of they put in racialized people um because so that it won't it won't cause any controversy but in a way <laughs> it's like even more egregiously racist because it's yeah it's insulting. erasing it's in it's erasing our 
the real true history, which is that we weren't even part of, like Asian people probably did not even have any access to these English boarding schools that Enola Holmes yeah, found herself in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, and to do that in hindsight in 2020 is like so egregiously racist. It, like you might as well, like it, it would be less racist if they just portrayed what it was like in an honest, genuine way mm-hmm. and like on historical, in, in more precise historical accurate terms, you yeah, know? Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and like you mentioning this has made me think and made me realise not made me realise, but made me or reminded me that when I was watching Emily in Paris, um, we had, Carl, Billy and I had binged on it for a couple of episodes the other night. Um, her friend, her one of her friends that Emily makes is this woman called Mindy who's um, Korean, Chinese, and she's the side character. And also um, another black gay uh, man is another side character of Emily's sort of passe oh, group. That's so typical. And, yeah, and... Um, <laughs> Mindy, the Asian character, is like in every single way more interesting than mm-hmm. Emily, but the the series focuses on Emily because she's white. Yeah. She's so basic, she's so white, but um she, the the series still focuses on her. Like Mindy um has such an interesting story like she comes from a really wealthy background, but she was like sort of disowned by her dad because she is the only child and her dad wanted her to take over the family business but she wanted to become a singer but then she fucked up on Chinese Idol. Um, it Like, she's so much more interesting than Emily but um, Emma, Emily is always the centre character. Mm-hmm. Because the name of the drama is to, Emily Yeah, it's in Emily in Paris. In Paris. Not, <laughs> yeah, not Mindy in Paris because Mindy's Asian and Asian yeah. women don't are not allowed their own series yeah. according to american standards right. we're not we're not we're not um, good enough good, we're <laughs> not more, we're not interesting enough we're not pretty enough we're not interesting enough we like m- we don't see any like we don't see any of mindy's sexual or romantic conquests mm-hmm. like nothing about mindy you know it's, mindy's just there to prop up emily yeah to make it more, to make the whole drama look diverse, but it's such a fake and yeah, it's a fake diversity. Diversity, yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, should we jump into our main topic today? Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Helen, tell us what what you want to talk about today and why you thought about doing this. We want topic. to talk about um, whether we want to actually have a conversation around. To question that if an alternative, our alternative diet is a sign of privileged lifestyle. Um, I think we've mm. thought to do this topic for a little while ago and like just talk about our experience of alternative, you know, alternative diets and on specific that today we'll be talking about vegetarian, vegan, and maybe if we have time, we'll talk about paleo. You know, is yeah. it a choice based on individuals' response to environment? You know, is it like religion beliefs, um, or how we have this kind of choice? Is it impacted by social and cultural hierarchy system? I think I've asked you before, Jess. Mm. Like, what would be the first and most important movement for the next generation? And you say will be vegetarian, as in the way that we consume our food, wasn't it? Yeah. Did I say that? Wow, that sounds so <laughs> smart of me. Yeah, so why don't we start with you? Like, what's your? Because you had experience of being a vegetarian, didn't you? Yeah, and vegan. Yeah, and vegan. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so I did it like, and everything I'm saying here is colored mm-hmm. by hindsight. Okay. So I just want everyone to know that while I was doing it, obviously I wasn't aware of this, but I turned vegan, um, in my early twenties after, um, at the end of university, I believe, uh, because I went on this trip to, uh, Wellington in the middle of New South Wales, near Dubbo. Um, where uh, I was surrounded by white women who were doing research. A part of their PhD was sort of looking at Mm -hmm. indigenous culture um, and health. And uh, there were two women on my team who were vegan and they were really attractive women. They were really lovely. Their, Their sort of way of looking at the world was really something that I admired. And part of that... Part of their selfhood was their choice in not eating any animal products. And that to me was so appealing because when I started moving around their spaces, I found myself being surrounded by people who were really interested in the world in the way that I was interested in the world, which is which is that we saw the harm that um, having a meat-based diet was causing the world. And because I was making a lot of money at that time, like I was a teacher, I don't mean a lot of money, but like a lot of money for a 21-year-old, um, I I always believed that um, if I had the means, I would, like for instance, um, if I had, if there was like an organic chicken, i oh, sorry, an organic um, yeah, an organic chicken or a, a non-organic chicken, I would always buy the pricier one. And that kind of translated to my idea that, um, like Michael Pollan says this um, in Food Inc., he was like saying how three days, three times a day you're making, you're voting, right? Like you're eating three meals a day um, and every time you consume something into your body, you're actively saying something, signaling something to the world about what your values are and um the one thing that really tipped me over you know not consuming meat um initially was um I got a pamphlet during um during this one festival I was hanging out with these vegan women and I should say they were white I'm pretty sure I said that right uh and the pamphlet explained how um a lot of the grain um, that is like something ludicrous, like 80% of the grain that we produce in the world goes into um, make goes into the production of um, making mm-hmm. animal feed, which is then fed to mm-hmm. pigs and yep. poultry and cows, which which are then slaughtered and by eaten, human. consumed yep. by rich people. Yeah, by yeah, and that and then like a lot of the world much of the world and much of the communities in developing countries are so poor that they can only mm-hmm. afford grains, right? So I thought that there was this deep unethical nature of how it just didn't make sense that, you know, I was consuming, I was participating in an industry that was actively um, barring access to poorer people who can only afford, mm-hmm. you know, grains and um, grains and pulses that, you know, they, they're like a lot of, like meat yeah. is expensive, you know. Um, so that was initially my reason for like having this very kind of militant way of eating and not participating in the mm. meat industry. You know, industrial mm. agriculture is 
like as bad as the pharmaceutical yeah, companies, yeah, I think. Absolutely, I agree what you say. And what do you think? So is, is that the only reason that you've turned into vegan during that time? Did you think of any other like health um, impact? Um, no, I didn't. I, I don't. I was never like lactose intolerant. I don't think. Um, I don't think it was a very health based mm-hmm. decision. Um, I never really liked mm-hmm. meat anyway, so it was an easy decision to give up meat. Um, giving up cheese and yogurt was a bit more of a sort of more, it wasn't challenging. It was more just, it required more steps in terms of like deciding what else Mm -hmm. to get in replacing, you know, um, cheese and yogurt. Also cheese and yogurt are very minute parts Mm -hmm. of my diet. Um, but I also really enjoyed the community of you know vegetarians mm-hmm. and vegans tended to be extremely mm-hmm. left-wing people yeah they saw the world um as a place that i saw it which was um i didn't want to participate in anything that was harming um people who were not mm-hmm. as privileged as us and if we had the means then we would avoid us avoid you know mm-hmm. contributing yeah, to that yeah i think my uh initial understanding about uh, vegetarian or veganism was actually coming from our own family. Like um, our fifth brother, uh, no, sorry, fifth uncle, Wu Jiu Jiu, you know, coming from our mother's side, he and his mm. family turned into fully vegetarian or vegan, yeah, um, since they followed yeah. the the certain religion. It's like Iguan Dao. What's the religion? Yeah, it's a part oh, yeah. of like Buddhist or Tao, Taoist, yeah, kind of religion. Mm-hmm. And for about 20 or 30 years ago, and now they're running a, a vegetarian restaurant. I, I believe the choices mm. of becoming a vegetarian or vegan has risen in Taiwan. You know, I mean, there's a lot more restaurants that are dedicated to this type of diet. And partly because um, due to religion, like many religion followers, let's say Buddhists, um, they make deals with their gods, say that they will change their diets and stop eating meat uh, in order to exchange for like better luck or extend the life of their loved ones. And a lot mm. of vegetarian and vegan food in Taiwan, or wildly in Asian countries, you know, um, they're soy based and mostly like tofu yeah. and uh, using tofu they can make into different styles and textures that's almost similar to meat you know what we call now the mock Mm, meat totally (laughs) yeah yeah a lot of mock meat alternatives in australia are not Mm, very delicious mm. actually i i think Mm, they're better in asia i I guess that's like a technical uh, way of differences of how you produce (laughs) mock meat but um i think there is little known about the health benefits of overeating like overprocessed. Uh, vegan or vegetarian products mm. um, and also um, within my social circles I have a couple of friends who are vegan and vegetarians and like you said they are more left leaning mm. of their thinking and more progressive um, but I ha- I did had a really funny and kind of embarrassing encounter with a friend that I never know was vegetarian or they turned vegetarian they didn't tell yeah. me um, sort of family, we invited a family over <laughs> for barbecue one weekend. 
and we were just serving mm-hmm. them like sausages and burgers, and they were just eating slowly. And I, I'm just so insensitive. I didn't even pick up that they were eating awkwardly. And later they told me that they were vegetarians. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, I think it's really stupid yeah. that they didn't. Sorry, I shouldn't call them stupid, but like, I know, what are you twelve? Just me. say yeah. that you're it's a vegetarian. Just so awkward, annoying. Uh, it must be the Asian. Yeah, I'm not, they are they Asian? Yeah, it must yeah, be the whole polite thing. Asians are so <laughs> fucking polite. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Must be why people find me so <laughs> abrasive. <laughs> like a lot of people have said, mm. um, have hated on me publicly, and I think maybe it's because like. They are used to Asian women being mm. a certain type, and I'm not that type at all. And so when they see me, like if I had a if I had a male body and I was white, mm. no one would blink an eye. But um, but because I'm in a fucking female body and I have an Asian face, they, have a they just yeah expect me to be yeah they expect yeah. me to be polite. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's like it's such a complex topic you know we're not talking merely about uh, individual choices that we're taking in consideration of choices that we have on impact of animals and the cruelty that you know as humans that will cause them if we eat meat i mean how and particularly how do we as most of us are not scientists or doctors balance our diets as well as maintain the moral values like i want to ask Mm. people out there like um, there's people who follow certain diets, for example, vegan or vegetarians have the right to shame uh, meat consumers. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, for you. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. I don't know. I I I don't think. Um, I don't think it's good to. I'm not saying that nobody has the right to, because I don't want to tell anyone mm-hmm. what their rights are or not. But I I would never advocate mm-hmm. for any type yeah. of shaming. However. However, um, like I, I still believe that one day we will look back in the world, like in 500 years' time, and we will see eating meat the way that we now see mm-hmm. slavery. Mm-hmm. I really think that. And I am really welcoming listeners, who, whoever is listening, to challenge me on that because I'd like to be challenged. I want my, I want my conceptions to be mm-hmm. ch- changed, you know. Um, I am never someone who like wants to hold on to one single truth because that's just the most stupid way to, of being. But like I have thought this for ages and I still continue to think that we will one day in the future of the world look back and see eating meat as the same way we mm-hmm. now see slavery. I think it's yeah. unethical. Um, and like, I mean, Helen, let me ask you a controversial question. Mm-hmm. You love dogs, but you still eat meat. So how do you negotiate yeah, so hard well, how do you think about that con- okay, contradiction I'm... do you just ignore it do you ignore the fact that you prioritize one yeah. sentient like being i'm guilty of having the privilege of not to think about it honestly like i do feel the guilt um and i also uh, after doing all the research for this episode i know that i'm i want to cut down eating meat and you know that within my household, one of our childs like refuses to eat meat most of the time, and except for the kombu. <laughs> except for the kombu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think we will slowly uh, transition to eat less meat, and perhaps towards the idea of vegan or vegetarian, whichever way that is more convenient for us. But 
it does trouble me when I think about this topic because I know that I'm so privileged and I have the privilege of making the choices. That's what we'll be talking about in the next segment. You know, is it like um, a privilege of becoming a vegan, a vegetarian, or it's simply having the choice is a privilege? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think um, eating is like dating. Yeah. It's political, right? <laughs> it's so political. And I have, like, I had this conversation with a friend the other the other day, like, and I've had this conversation for years. Like, I tend to like vegan and vegetarians because you're bound to know that they are not right leaning people. Like, mm. you know, you would never, okay. like, if you go into a vegetarian society or a vegan society, you would never, ever, ever come across a right wing or a conservative person. I, I, I tend to yeah. think that. Like, there is a, you, what you eat is aligned mm. to your political views. Like, you would never find a vegan in the Liberal Party of Australia, for instance. Like, someone please come, yeah, like, challenge like me on that. You. I would love yeah. for someone to tell me. Yeah, but like uh, generally, uh, vegans and vegetarians are extremely mm-hmm. left-wing people. They're extremely anti everything, anti-border, anti-racist, anti. They a lot of them are communists, <laughs> Marxists, you know, socialists. <laughs> but um, those are more interesting people, and um, uh, vegans are people who, in my eyes, are very mm-hmm. aware mm-hmm. and sensitive. And I like people who are aware mm-hmm. and sensitive. Yeah, I agree. Like when we're trying to question ourselves that whether or not that the privilege is there when you're a vegan or vegetarian. I think you really have to look how you define the privilege because... What do you mean by that? I think people uh, consider it's a privilege to become a vegetarian or vegan because it costs more. But when I'm looking into it, I don't think it's necessarily cost more, but... It's, yeah, I agree with that. Mm, it's not true that you have to be right. rich I to mean, be vegan. People who eat meat, that a lot of them are unemployed or they're, you know, it's not about the money. And it's, uh, I think it's really come to the capitalism and the corporation um, system that drives how a certain type of diet become gentrified because we've seen that a lot of culture for example we've spoke about you know asian food that before it was just no one really care into that perhaps white people taking over the power to gentrify a certain Mm. type of food and everyone's following it now i think it's similar yeah yeah, it's it's similar to to vegetarian vegan yeah yeah, yeah. Like um, in the last couple of years alone, you had like Ben and Jerry's and Magnum and so many other popular mm-hmm. Peter's brands who are coming out with, you know, paddle pop sticks and ice creams that are vegan because they realize that um, a lot of millennials are now, it's kind of like a cool mm-hmm. hip thing to to do, like a yeah. lifestyle choice. You know, just like polyamory, I feel like people, <laughs> millennials are now catching on to the quirks of polyamory it's like it's almost like Mm -hmm. you know in pot's point pe nation is what everyone wears Mm -hmm. it's a fashion statement Mm -hmm. you know and this idea of like capitalism kind of penetrating every idea of our selfhood is something gia tolentino often talks about in her writing you know capitalism has managed to penetrate every single part of our Mm -hmm. identity 
you know, and it's now in this context we're talking about, you know, penetrating our mm-hmm. um, what we yeah. eat, you know. Um, so Magnum and Peters and um, Ben and Jerry's, they've they've seen that there's a way to make money from um, coming out with lines of um, ice yeah, cream that are now vegan, gone and they've that. gone yeah. gone forth and done it. Any anything to make money, basically. And also the culture that is hyped up by celebrities. We're seeing more yeah, like Natalie Portman. White, white celebrities, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was going to mention her. Yeah, white celebrities that is coming out saying that they're vegan or they're vegetarian. Yeah. You know, mm. yeah, if I was a vegan, and I think I want to be one day, I really do, um, I, it's like, it's like a, for me, it feels like part of an ideal selfhood that I have you know um Mm. if I was to be vegan I wouldn't broadcast it I would never be like a spokesperson for it or anything like that because um I don't want it's like it's like kind of the same way I wouldn't want to just be broadcast as the Asian voice you know Mm -hmm. because it's um one very insulting for all the other diverse Asian voices out there it's um very reductive um but I don't ever want to broadcast the fact that I'm vegan if I was vegan because I don't want it to be a big thing it shouldn't be a big thing it Mm -hmm. should just be like oh by the way I don't eat meat or any animal products big deal Mm -hmm. you know big Mm -hmm. deal big fucking deal did you think that being a vegetarian or vegan would um I don't want to use the word impact but influence Mm -hmm the social circle that you are in? Like, for example, when you're going out, social gatherings, would you have a particular... How would you let your um, social circle know that it's particularly things that you do not eat? Yeah. um, I remember when I was a vegan, I I slowly lost touch with friends because... Um, often we would gather in large groups and then I would be like the single one making kind of like people would find, I think, even though they never said it because my friends were nice, um, I was kind of a burden because when they picked places to eat, they would have to make sure that there were adequate, substantial vegan options. And I don't like being the black sheep. I don't want to be someone's burden. And so mm-hmm. I would often just take myself away from gatherings um i would end up you know eating um at home first before going out um it does remove you from access to and it does make sort of social uh occasions a little more complicated um i think if the people who love you um will support you and will understand Mm -hmm. that these kind of differences are very minor in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. they really are they really are yeah but yeah, well, I mean, what about how do you think about paleo? Because when I think about paleo, I think about Pete Evans. <laughs> I know that's the first person that it comes into our minds, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, like you hear paleo, Pete Evans' face springs jumps up into to, your mind. Yeah, jumps into every single Australian's heads. Like he has so much power over the paleo diet. It's ridiculous. Oh my when god! When you have someone with that power, I know, right? And you, pushes through the media and into people's mind how much damage could that be doing because i know that um paleo i mean certain every diet is not suitable to everyone so Mm. it's really according to individuals and 
uh, I'm not familiar with paleo, but the whole hype about this keto, paleo, a certain type of mm. um, diet that is essentially making you. I know that within the woman that the woman circles that I know, um, some of my acquaintances that they follow paleo in in search of losing weight. Yeah, of because course. the image of the media and social media as well that put out in front of them is that you can lose weight by following certain diets, and there's mm. there are a lot of this kind of ways that you know pushing women to think that because you need to lose weight and in order to do that you follow this diet and it's yeah. not necessarily helpful because not everyone is suitable for this diet yeah absolutely yeah yeah and i remember hearing the paleo diet when pete evans um fashionized it like five six years ago maybe even more <laughs> i remember kind of being repulsed by it because the paleo diet is like the like if of course listeners would know it's like the caveman diet so the idea that you would eat something that um you know people 10,000 years ago ate and mm-hmm. um i think it like i saw a lot of the recipes that Pete Evans came up with and a lot of them were heavily meat based mm-hmm. and yeah. i just found that really gross like i can't i can't i th- found it very unethical that um any diet that um constitutes a large portion of it being meat based i think just feels really wrong to me mm-hmm. yeah and you know my journey in my 20s through vegetarian and veganism was very much informed by documentaries like food inc um mm-hmm. earthlings and you know cowspiracy um so many documentaries out there that really frightens you into the reality of what it means to be someone who consumes meat because you look at, you know, like remember I often think, um, and I th- I'm sure it was someone else who said this, that if someone, an expert said that if everyone had, if windows were put onto abattoirs, everyone would be vegetarian. Yeah. Like if, if everyone yeah, saw if you've seen what, the animal yeah, being slaughtered. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Everyone would be a vegetarian. And yeah. I often, when I talk about vegetarianism, I often think about Lisa Simpson. Yeah, you don't make friends with salad. You don't make friends, you don't with, make friends with salad. You don't make friends. Yeah, <laughs> mom. <laughs> and what did Marge say? Sorry, it's catchy. Yeah. Or like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I love that scene where um, Lisa's like biting into a, um, a lamb or something. Oh uh-huh. no, she's cutting. She's in the. Remember, she's in the science lesson. She's dissecting a worm, and then. The worm the comes, worm on, comes into a lamb, her. and don't then she's like, "Kill me, yeah, don't kill me, Lisa." It's like, "Why are what you is... talking like a lamb?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. I was funny. just talking to a friend about um our favorite characters in Simpsons, and okay. yeah, I would never, even though I love Lisa Simpson, um, I would never choose her as my favorite because she's kind of so moralistic. She's so perfect in every way, and I don't like people who are mm. so perfect, like. Milhouse is my favorite character ever because he's just. <laughs> but I also love Homer because Homer is so bad in every way. But at least he tries to be a better man. Like he, yeah, he it's just like Milhouse. Like he, these two, Milhouse and Homer, they just, even though they're so, like, they they have shortcomings. Um, 
they know that, but they always try to be a better yeah. person. And yeah. like Milhouse tries to be cool, but he can't. That's Milhouse just like me. tries to do everything. <laughs> I know, he's so cute. <laughs> oh my God, if Milhouse was a real person, I would be his best friend. Okay. Yeah, like Lisa Simpson. <laughs> Lisa Simpson's his best friend. Is he? Is she? I thought Milhouse has a crush on her. Or is that Ralph? I think that's oh, Ralph. Ralph, yeah. Anyway, what do you think our upbringings, our, our own culture background impact on our, on your like choices of diets, in particular for vegetarian? Like, has mum ever told you or influenced you your idea of being a vegetarian? Um, I think mum and I are both very, very anemic. And so when I told her that mm. I had was becoming a vegetarian vegan, she was more concerned that I just wouldn't be having enough iron intake, which, mm. you know, ended up happening. Um, struggled with anemia for years and I still do. Um, but I don't think, I don't think my, our, like our mother is the most phenomenal cook in the world. She mm. makes, like, she just has amazing, amazing, amazing Taiwanese food. dishes. And um, I don't think that, Mum and I had ever talked about veganism or um, vegetarianism very much. I know that in Taiwan it's very easy to be a vegan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, um, a lot of vegetarian like vegetarian diets are normalized in Taiwan. Um, yeah. I know that part of the reason why I was excited about and found it completely easy to be a vegetarian vegan was, you know, when you and I were younger, Mum and Dad would take us to Nanten Temple in. Wollongong, uh, yes, yeah. So Nanten uh-huh. Temple um, has a vegetarian, vegan, yeah. vegan, vegan diet for all the monks over yeah. there, and, and at the restaurant they yeah. And every time we ate at the restaurant, I was always with, yeah. oh my god, I was just always so excited about the food because the food is so yeah. fucking good. Yeah, it right? was fantastic. And yeah, and they didn't. Vegan. Th- yeah, and they never made it like they never splashed across their um, menus vegan. They never made a point of it being all vegan. They just—it was just like, it's just like how Lord of the Fries does it. I've never actually eaten that Lord of the Fries, but like <laughs> they don't broadcast themselves as vegetarian. Yeah, yeah, but they only put a sign. I remember there's a sign in front of uh, the entrance of Nanten Temple. They mm. they tell you that please do not bring any meat products into the temple. Oh, that okay, was the only yeah. sign that I recognize. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, because I was reading a couple of the articles and one of the writer in the median, Ryan Fenn, he mentioned that his parents living through the starvation, you know, like mm. cultural and historical experience from perhaps our own parents and grandparents who endured mm. like uh, eras when food was scarce. Yeah. They will probably have little understanding about the choices become vegetarian and yeah. vegan. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I yeah, know absolutely. that our, our mom had always preferred to eat vegetables that's how i yeah. feel yeah 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 absolutely mum had always that, preferred to i know eat. yeah 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 um and i actually like that and i was with mum on that yeah. like she had always liked greens above that's like right. she had to force herself to eat meat um <laughs> because of her anemia which is the anemia. same as me like um i my stomach doesn't process meat very well yeah i prefer like i thought when i was a vegetarian vegan i my life was more exciting because instead of like relying on the basic steak and vegetables i would for i would be forced to come up with more creative ways of mm-hmm. nourishing my body yeah and yeah. that was really exciting yeah like I tempeh th- i discovered tempeh <laughs> which is like literally the best food in the world 
Yeah, great. Um, I was thinking that um, mm. on the subjects of privilege, a lot of uh, articles that I've read spoke about um, because down to privileged people start to consider about your social, uh, socioeconomic status mm. to allow you to um, pick that diet. But a lot of vegetarians or vegans argues that it's not necessarily the privilege, but it's the privilege that you have on the choice and also whether or not that you put the efforts into making the world better, like you said. And you also it's a counter uh, movement to really consider why the government and the corporations mm. that drives certain products into our face. You know how mm. that I just mentioned earlier about the media and why is it more expensive to being the vegetarian? You know, I mean, it's a myth, but it's a misconception. But it's also sometimes that uh, the subsidies that industries, for example, the meat industries that they get from the government yeah, perhaps and the make, yeah, perhaps, and yep. milk as well, of course, it yeah. makes that kind of products cheaper for people to purchase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, I think that was a really good argument, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think it, it's only it can only be a good thing to be more aware about what you mm-hmm. eat because um, any time you spend money, you're making a political statement. Yeah, you're spending. Yeah, yeah any time you buy something, is the loudest form of voting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, any last words before we conclude? I mean, today? I just told you about a few minutes ago that I probably very soon will. But for a lot of personal reasons, ones mm. that I won't mention on this podcast <laughs> because it's still very, like, personal. But um, I aspire to be a vegan mm. um, in the foreseeable future. How about you? I would want to take a slower step. I mean, I, I think I will eventually become a vegan or vegetarian, whichever way. But I, it really had made me think, you know, to eat less meat not only for the health purpose, because we know now, you know, for the decades of research that we know that um, eating less meat or no meat at all, there's uh, protein substitutes out there. Mm. And also that it is a particularly ethical choice. It's definitely ethical choice for me. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, it's been good to chat, Helen. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, before we end, um, I mm. want to do a shout out to our listener, Lulo. Um, she sent me a private message uh, last week uh, about our episode on the phone. Uh, she actually sent me a couple of the link of one of the Chinese singer, Fei Wang. Wang Fei, mm. Wang Fei, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Wang Fei has recorded a couple of songs that's based in Chinese poems that sounds really, really good. And wow. it just also made me remember that last week or the week before it was Chinese Tai Yu, the language yeah. Chinese recognition week. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah. can we do a podcast on that next week on where Tai we, Yu? We yeah. only speak Tai Yu. Oh, it's gonna be so hard. I well, probably I only can't. know how to well, swear. I only know Yao Shu. Kong 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 Yeah. We only know how to how to um you, like swear words kind of like curse words words, because dad used them all the time yeah yeah um anyway um 
Thanks, Lulu, for your、uh, message. Yeah, dosha, dosha. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's thank you, by the way, in Taiwanese. <laughs> Yeah, so once again, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Please give us a rating, review, and also share our podcast to your friends. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. <laughs> we welcome discussions and feedbacks. Chat to you next week. Bye. Yeah, guys, let us know what you're eating. Yeah, or not、soon. eating. <laughs> yeah, or not eating. Exactly. Bye. Okay, bye.